Coming up on the Louis Diaz podcast. Actually, if you want to do anything great, you have to be bad at it first. If you keep doing the same thing that you're already really good at, you're probably not going to actually, you know, grow and develop in the substantial leaps and bounds that you could have if you just took a leap and tried something that you might fail at. And you probably will fail at it, but that's how we learn. Hello, and welcome to the Louis Diaz podcast. Every day, I come across some of the most incredibly fascinating and authentic people from all walks of life. And together, we're inviting you in to be our special guest as we take you through some of their amazing experiences, adventures, and journeys. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Louis Diaz Podcast. I need to welcome a very good friend of mine, Catherine Huang, to the Louis Diaz Podcast. Welcome, Kat. Hi, Louis. I'm really glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you here. It's been way too long since we caught up. And honestly, I just wanted an excuse to catch up with you. And I thought, well, if inviting you onto the podcast was a way of catching up, then so be it. I'm very happy to take the opportunity. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons why I always really love catching up with you and especially why I thought it might be a good idea to have you on the podcast is because you always just have this zest for life that I really appreciate. You, there's always something happening. You're always thinking about your next move in life like your next adventure and I really admire that about you but you've also constantly got a smile on your face which I'm not sure if it's kind of that's just your normal face or or whether you're actually smiling all the time <laughs> no you're kind of making me smile because you you've kind of hit my last couple of years spot on with what I've been thinking about and whatnot um, but I'm also really touched that you invited me to be here because when I've listened to your um, your podcast, I love that you're always pulling out, you know, what's interesting about life. And um, yeah, I'm happy to kind of be able to fit into that category as well with my <laughs> zest for life. That's very sweet. Well, yeah, you totally do. Because when I first met you, we were in a completely different environment. Very. Yeah. Do you remember much about that? Yeah. As much as my failing memory allows me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was a kind of fun time, actually. <laughs> it was. It was. It was, I guess, without going into specifics, it was a very different environment. We were both working in like a corporate environment, you could say. Mm -hmm. Laptops Tr out, locked in a meeting room. <laughs> exactly. Well, a lot of time together. Yeah. And so since then, uh, I feel like a lot's kind of shifted. Uh, maybe you sort of reprioritized your life a little bit. What happened? What happened since then? Bring us up to speed. <laughs> Gosh, uh, oh, oh gosh, a lot, I guess. That would have been back in about 2014, 15, I guess, 2015. <laughs> so I was working a pretty hectic corporate job, kind of 70 hours a week and flying in and out a lot. And after about three or four years in that job, I actually kind of burned out. And that made me really reprioritize everything. I was living overseas at that time in South Africa and away from family, away from friends. At the time, I was in a long-distance relationship, I guess, for the time I was in South Africa, and it all just kind of fell apart. Like, I was tired from working. I couldn't get my work done properly. Um, I couldn't maintain the relationship, just a bunch of things. When I came back from all of that, you know, I really had to reset and go, well, what went wrong there? And <laughs> how do we never do that again? <laughs> And it's been, I think, a bit of a journey of self or self rediscovery since then, I guess. There was, um, you know, I stepped away from work a little bit. I went part time and tried to take it a bit easier. And then I realized at some point I just wasn't like motivated by my day to day anymore. I had always planned to, after about five years of working that job, I always thought I'm going to take a year off, do a sabbatical travel a lot around Latin America, but for various reasons, I just thought, you know what, I'll just move. <laughs> Let's just do this as a permanent thing. In short, I guess the pandemic hit, which slightly changed the way I was going to do it, but I ended up deciding Mexico or Colombia would be the best place for me to start out. Um, I found an incredible job in Colombia. The funny thing is when we talk about things being different, my job itself is very much the same, but I'm in a very different place now. I've learned a lot thanks to, you know, the people around me and just the headspace that I've been in here and that was gosh April 2021 that I moved and now it's been almost two years here yeah I feel like you've covered a lot you've you've covered different locations eight a years lot of, in two minutes yeah, yeah 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 exactly eight years in two minutes and you've been to South Africa Central America you were here in Australia in all that time while you're going through this 
life experience of figuring yourself out and in in the world of work and I guess life and you're still in your 20s right I just turned 30 last week <laughs> you're still you're still in your 20s <laughs> I'll take it and I still feel like I'm in my 20s <laughs> well, like, just as many questions well, like slightly a, different one but, yeah, yeah 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 exactly but it wasn't sort of to bring age into the discussion as much not that that really matters but more for a lot of people, they don't start having or questioning some of their values and some of their priorities in life till a lot later. It takes some people a lot longer to, I guess, get that point where they're burnt out and they've had enough. Mm. It feels like you're really quite self-aware, but I also think that you were going at a frenetic pace as well <laughs> at some point. But yeah. through all of that, you've you've managed to mix in this incredible passion for aerial silks and... I guess as I've been sort of keeping a, an eye on your journey from, you know, a distance, I've noticed that it's really your passion for the silks as well that's kind of kept you almost motivated and on the straight and narrow at times. I would have said sane. That's sane. There you go. So you, you've always been better with words than me. I was telling someone the other day. No, no. It's very much how I think about it is it, it keeps me sane. And like, for me, it was a big red flag when um, I was in the worst of my burnout. And then again, later when I was losing, losing motivation for my work, because I would get to my silks class. And normally that's like, it's almost like meditation for me. You just completely focus on what you're doing. You're enjoying it. You're figuring things out. It's a real challenge. And I would get to these classes and just be like, I can't even concentrate. I My head is in other places. And so that's always kind of a really big indicator for me of uh, my head needs <laughs> to slow down, to stop, to do something different, whatever, but it's not in the right place right now. Mm. So it's, yeah, something that's always made me happy and kept me kept me sane, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, having a look through your Instagram, watching your journey from the very beginning, you being really <laughs> candid and open around where you're at with your progress. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think I used Instagram the way it was intended. It's not a highlight reel. <laughs> it's... it's... <laughs> But Here's what I failed on today. <laughs> I, don't, I love that. I love that about your feed. It really shows your progress and how passionate you are about silks and how much it is a, an important part of your life. But I, I found that really interesting that you said that it's like your meditation because when people think about meditation, they think about sitting there with their eyes closed, with their mm-hmm. on a chair, with their feet on the ground, taking in deep breaths and... This whole notion around a certain other activity that's certainly not with your feet on the ground, that's <laughs> probably taking deep breaths for a whole other reason. Um, yeah. It's an interesting notion that something else that's not meditation can be your meditation. I mean, what what do you mean by that? Definitely. I mean, I kind of think of yoga as a parallel for it as well. A lot of people call yoga like moving meditation. I think Ariel is probably a little more distracting because you're mostly trying to make sure, you know, you do the right steps and don't accidentally fall and do something silly like that or wrap the wrong way and fall out of it, which is something, you know, that I've done. (laughs) But it's just, I think part of it is the fact that it is a little bit challenging means you have to completely focus on it. You cannot really be distracted. You cannot be kind of multitasking and learning aerial. You're climbing in the air. You're figuring out which parts of your body are moving. Um, I think in contrast to certain sports, it is a whole body thing. You know, you're using your arms and your legs to climb up, to wrap around, to make different shapes. So you're thinking about your entire body. And that way, I think it has a lot of parallels to to yoga. Mm. And then the fact that there is just always a new challenge. Like I've been doing aerials for seven or eight years now, I guess. And I never feel like I have capped out on what I can learn. I'm always kind of inspired by new challenges I feel like I can work on new things all the time get stronger in different ways and that's exciting so when you're sitting there you're like I'm focused on this challenge I'm excited about this challenge it gives you like a real endorphin rush when you get it right and even when you don't get it right it's kind of fun to laugh at yourself a bit like as long as you're landing on a nice soft safety mat (laughs) you know it's a bit of a funny experience as well so yeah Mm. I mean did you get into it because you had some kind of background in gymnastics because I'm looking at some of these videos and I'm thinking you're either just talented and you've got natural strength or you're crazy Sheer persistence. <laughs> okay, persistence. um 
the other thing I love about it is I'm really uncoordinated. So, you know, I, I used to play tennis in primary school because my parents thought that would be a good idea to fix my coordination. And we did this exercise where if you missed the ball, you had to run around the court. I spent the entire hour just running around the court. <laughs> like, I could not hit that ball. Um, and it's the same with dance. It's the same with anything, just about anything on the ground. But when I was in the air, I think because once you've got the movements in, you look really cool, just about, you know, just about however you do it. So it for me, it's been one of the few places where I do feel like I can be coordinated, strong, graceful, and that in turn has kind of inspired me to keep going with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we know gymnastics background. I've got some like hereditary flexibility, but everything else has just been <laughs> a lot of persistence, a lot of, I'm going to learn to do this. <laughs> Honestly, like the photos that I'm looking at right now, it's just like for someone that says that they're not coordinated, it's, it's a triumph that you've been able to get as far as you have. Yeah. Oh, just as an aside, I think it surprises everyone. My my teacher back in Australia um, once taught us a move and I asked him what happens if it goes wrong? And he said, just do a forward roll out of it. And I was like, how do you do a forward roll? He laughed at me because that's such a basic like gymnastics move that he just assumed that I was making a joke. I fell out of that, did not do a forward roll, face planted. <laughs> so he spent a while teaching us how to do forward rolls after that. But yeah, to be very clear, <laughs> don't need to be a gymnast, but it is helpful. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually surprised that you haven't seriously injured yourself or have you? Because it's... Yeah, I've actually been off training for the last six months. Uh, maybe four or five months, um, but it'll be a bit over six months by the time I go back in April because I have had like long-term bursitis in my shoulder, which is just like inflammation from overuse in very short non-medical terms, I guess. And in September last year, I found out that I had a blood clot on that side. So that was a bit of a scary thing. You know, with the bursitis, I'm like, it's fine. I'll keep doing it. I'll just be a little more careful how I do it with the blood clot. The the doctors were like, no, you actually have to stop doing it Mm. (laughs) or risk everything that comes with that so um I have stopped for quite some time and it had it was I don't know I I think I was at the time I had been sort of judging someone for having their life super centered around one thing and then when Ariel was pulled out for me I was like oh I'm that person (laughs) I didn't realize how much of a rock it was in my life and I I kind of grieved it a bit um was pretty pretty sad for a while trying to figure out what am I going to do if I don't have this thing that keeps me sane and centered in my life so yeah that's that's been a bit of a mini side journey yeah are you okay is how's the shoulder now how's how's everything the risk is gone which is great no more blood clot um it's still doing weird things so i've been back to ariel a couple of times but not a whole lot i'm working on strengthening and physio and all the things that i usually neglect because i'm (laughs) very undisciplined about this stuff but yeah i I really want to go back and actually want to train circus full-time starting around april onwards so i need to be ready (laughs) full-time yeah, I mean, I don't know. Well, full time training to start with, I haven't figured out like, do I want to perform with that? Do I just want to teach? What do I want to do with that? But I definitely want to go back and train and just create and okay. yeah, definitely teach again as well on the side, actually. So yeah, uh, TBD. You know, I find that whole idea of losing that thing that was your rock a gut wrenching, awful experience to have but it's almost a necessary experience like it's it's an an inevitable experience for everyone at some point in their life that thing that was their rock is going to be gone what do you do do you quickly try and find something to replace it is it constantly binging netflix or something like that or you know wallowing eating stuff in your face with popcorn um it's a good question i think the first thing was i think just recognizing the severity or lack of severity of it. Like I knew it wasn't going to be a, you can never train for the rest of your life thing. I think that's one of the things I'm really nervous about is having some sort of permanent injury. That means you absolutely have to stop. And that does happen, you know, in just about every sport. So the, you know, for me, partly it was taking that perspective to start with and knowing I would be able to get back to it, but I wanted to be stronger. And, and this is, I think the most helpful perspective that a friend reached out to me with, he said, you know, he'd been through a lot of injuries as well. And he said, I try to make it one step backward, two steps forward. 
So do your physio, but like on top of that, work on other things. So your flexibility or I don't know, I, I've been working on slacklining over the last couple of years and sort of balance and things. And I have come back with much better flexibility. Uh, my slacklining is <laughs> a possibility now. It's relatively consistent and I'm trying to rebuild my strength now. I have thought a lot about though, what would happen if Ariel was completely taken from me, if I can't fully recover from this injury. And I think it's finding kind of parallels that are more doable. You know, I, I know some people who will teach without demonstrating. Um, so they still get to be part of that. And I, I really, I mean, that's part of my joy as well is seeing people build their confidence at a personal life level, not just on the silks, but I think it really changes people outside of it. And so just being part of that journey, I think would still be really amazing. And like just sharing the joy of Ariel with others in that way. But I would love to, you know, keep doing other things that have felt um, more challenging for my body. Like I never imagined I could slackline. And I thought you had to be born with the ability to handstand or cartwheel. I didn't know you could maybe oh, learn same. those things. Yeah. <laughs> same you taught me how to skateboard i didn't think that was a possibility <laughs> well it was you did it really easily i think you did it barefoot as well which i never recommend <laughs> <laughs> didn't i <laughs> yeah, yeah. um but look yeah awesome awesome and there was something else i wanted to touch on actually i don't mean to keep sort of chopping and changing the subject uh, because <laughs> i definitely want to stay on this track but you talked about your parents and tennis. How do they feel about you <laughs> taking up, you know, silks? What a beautifully complex question. Um, <laughs> so I'm Australian-born Chinese. So my parents are first-generation immigrants to Australia, and they carry a lot of the stereotypes in general. You know, when I was in school, they kind of expected me to be a doctor or a lawyer. And I actually did study a lot. Um, I was a bit of a nerd. I'm arguably still a nerd, but a lot more proud of it now. Um, That's why we get along. <laughs> really. <Yeah. laughs> We're diverse. We can't help it. <laughs> we like to go deep and wide. <laughs> um, I think it's been an adjustment process for them. I'm kind of very grateful to my older sister. I see her as kind of a trailblazer. And so, you know, she didn't follow exactly the doctor lawyer path either. And my parents kind of learned to just support the path that their kids were going to take instead of trying to force them down somewhere that they are not going to go anyway. And I think that's kind of how they've seen my life. That said, my parents told me recently they have a doctor that's 55 and that doctor had decided to join, to, to go to medical school at the age of 40 or something. So I think part of their tranquility is they have a little hope in the back of their brain that I'll go through my circus phase and then still want to be a doctor. They're still planting seeds. <laughs> I yeah, I see. Yeah. But they're, for the most part, they're pretty supportive. I think, you know, they're they're constantly asking me to be careful about what I do. I think that they don't fully trust the um, <laughs> security of being 10 meters in the air without any safety gear on. But that's probably a very normal parent worry. And for the most part, they know it makes me happy. They've been to some of my shows. And yeah, they're relatively supportive, especially given like the background and the stereotypes that we come from. Mm. Well, yeah, it's nice to hear that they're supportive. It sounds like they're still planting seeds around maybe you being a doctor. <laughs> Maybe they're yep. planting seeds around your tennis career, saying things like, mm, Kat. <laughs> that one they've given up on. <laughs> don't you enjoy running laps? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, I was a runner for a while after that, actually. We just had to find the right way to use yeah. that energy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that's really great. But you also started your silks here in Australia. Is that before really? even. Yeah, I did an exchange in San Diego when I was in university and at the time was actually looking for a pole dancing class because I was so inspired by how strong pole dancers are. I don't know if you've ever seen the back of a pole dancer, um, like the advanced level ones. They are just all muscle. <laughs> so strong. So impressive. I'm not sure what the right answer is here. <laughs> um, I want to say like drop into a class. Um, but maybe don't tell them you're there just to check out people's backs. So Definitely tell strange. them you're there. Don't just be creeping in the corner. What are you talking about? <laughs> just do it yourself while you're there, you know, take a class. And <laughs> I, I actually had a pole dancing instructor on that really? podcast, episode eight with Katie Haddle. Uh, incredible, incredible person. And yeah, talked about pole dancing as though it, it really changed her life. So yeah, I didn't have to attend the class to learn about it. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. 
Well, I unfortunately at the time didn't find a pole dancing class, and I think that changed it for me. There's a very good chance that in another universe you would have been talking to me as a pole dancing instructor as well. But I found an aerial silks class instead. Uh, I did that for six months, and then I was out of Australia for another year after that. And when I got back, I went, I still love this thing. I want to try it. Um, I started classes again, and I haven't stopped since. <laughs> yeah, and so now you're in where? Where are you based? I'm in Bogota, Colombia. And so you've been able to take your love for silks around the world with you and find communities that sort of harness that or help support that, which I find really interesting. For me, I just think, oh, it's so cool that you can take this passion with you and that you've just managed to find some people on the other side of the world that are interested in the same thing, like, you know, hanging themselves from a ceiling (laughs) via some silk. silks because i wouldn't have thought that it was that common which is my point yeah i have noticed since i started it and became aware of it i think it has become more like i won't even say mainstream yet but it has become a lot more prevalent i think in the same moment that like rock climbing and pole dancing have become more popular as well i think people have figured out how to make these things more accessible as well like they're not just for people who have grown up in circus environments or were gymnasts or dancers of some sort you know the way that we taught in my past studio and the way i teach beginners now is for anyone who hasn't had any exercise experience in a long time so you might not be able to get yourself off the ground but we're going to get you upside down and you're going to do so much more than you expect and i think that helps people fall in love with it enough to come back I've seen the same like I also used to boulder quite a bit and the same thing there like the bouldering gyms used to be really inaccessible for people who weren't serious climbers and then there was a chain that came in in Australia in Sydney especially called nine degrees and they went down like three levels below the official levels that exist it's like walking up the stairs on some of their climbs but you start doing it that way and you're like this is really fun I can get into it so it definitely has like grown over the last few years and all these different things yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I guess the rise of social media as well has, has made things a lot more visible, I guess. Yes. Yeah, where people... That's also, sorry, yeah, that's also been a weird thing about how we teach. Like when I started teaching beginners, it was just focused on the moves and so on, all the normal things you would think about. And then a couple of years before the pandemic, I guess, we made more of a social media focus. My The studio owner bought tripods so people could just take selfies at any time. And, you know, there was encouragement of like people who were coming in to take a selfie and there's a weird kind of balance there between you don't want to do it just for the instagram right you don't want to do it just for the photos you do want to just be there have fun be present and do all the things that make me feel like it's meditation but at the same time when you take those progress photos when you have those like failure videos as i do you see the progress and i think that's a really cool piece to have so it's it's a funny balance between the two like we want to um, see how we progress, show off a bit, but also try not to get too caught up in I'm doing this for the gram. <laughs> I'm kind of just sitting here going, what failure videos? And, and, <laughs> and in the captions, you also talk about like some kind of failure. And I'm like, no, there's no there's no failure there. You're literally up <laughs> in the middle of air, suspended. You've wrapped the thing around. You didn't face plan. That's not a failure. <laughs> I can find you the face plan video if that helps. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess it all gets relative as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's all relative. Yeah, you're, you're probably being a little bit hard on yourself sometimes when you say failure videos because I think a lot of your failures would be a lot of people's successes. But yeah, it's quite interesting that you're, you've been able to take this sport up yourself from scratch without having much experience with this gymnastic kind of sport and then to be able to develop yourself to a quite a high level i would say that you're the perfect person to teach right that kind of reminds me of my skate lessons i jumped on a skateboard when i was 29 and taught myself and now with my lessons i know how to take people from that very first step that they take on the board and instead of landing on their ass get them (laughs) to that next step um so i often feel like it's maybe Those people that, you know, really persevered and started from absolutely having no skill set to being able to get themselves to a proficient level that are the best teachers because they they remember what that journey was. Do you think that gives you some kind of advantage as like an instructor in some way? Yeah, I think that's definitely true, especially, you know, the last few years as we've had more people come in who aren't kind of gymnasts or somehow already, you know, interested or excited about aerials. 
being able to talk to them and be like, I had no idea how my body moved. I'd be like, raise your left hand. And I'm, you know, my right hand's flying everywhere. I have no, that's my level of uncoordination. And to be able to share that with them, to be able to identify as well things that when you've done a sport for your entire life, I think there are things that you just subconsciously are aware of. You know, where are your feet? If you're a ballet dancer, are they pointed or not? Just little things like that, which make a huge difference when you're up in the air trying to navigate a bunch of wraps around yourself. And so that I think has been very helpful, both for like encouraging other people, like look where I've come from and look where I'm at now. So you are very much able to, to you know, have your own journey towards that as well. And then the being able to identify things that I think advanced or people who have backgrounds in in gymnastics and sports just aren't aware of because it's just been so ingrained into their Mm. training when you're Mm. yeah that's definitely true yeah I think I I sort of say the same thing about the best skateboarders like they don't know how to teach because they're just too good at what they do and they do it like just do this yeah. Why are you not doing it? Just do yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. They just, they just and, and then you get someone who is, I'm going to say relatively uncoordinated like me, who has to be really careful about what they do and every step in the way because I'm quite injury prone. So, mm-hmm. you know, I make yeah, something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We So it's injury prone nerds like us that end up <laughs> making things, you know, breaking things down into a step-by-step process where if you do it this way, you're not going to get hurt. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's there's something to be said about not getting hurt when you're doing this kind of thing because an injury can really set you back a long way. For As a beginner, mm-hmm. it's probably going to set you back. Well, you might never come back. Uh, right. And if you do, there's going to be a lot of hesitation. You're almost going to take a lot longer to get to that next step because of all the, the kind of tenseness that you might sort of develop. Yeah. There's definitely like a level, you know, a much milder level of trauma than most things, but there's a mental and a physical trauma that comes with an injury or an accident for sure. And it takes a long time to, to get past that. Yeah. I would have said exactly the same thing though. Like we have our nerdy brains and, um, where most people will kind of receive a move, I'll be there like, what happens if it goes wrong? (laughs) Um, what happens if your foot goes that way? Like, how does this trick actually work? And I need to understand that in detail to feel confident that I'm not going to mess it up. Mm -hmm. But in turn it also helps you like explain oh okay when you're teaching someone else you're you know missing this angle here or it's just a little shift in your hips or just little things like that from fully understanding with our nerd brains what's going on here Mm, yeah it's like you know having that capacity to question ask questions but also Mm. the courage to actually put yourself in the situation after you've done the math on those okay (laughs) yeah i know what's holding me and what's not holding me Yeah, because of like I watch some of your videos and you wrap the silk around one leg and might unwrap it from the other one. It's very calculated. I mean, it, of course, it might, has to be, but I don't want to say the wrong thing here about pole dancing because the pole's kind of just always there, um, yes. and so it's really about how you manipulate your body around that pole with mm-hmm. with the silks. It's like you've got to wrap this thing around yourself and make sure that you haven't missed one of the parts of your body that you were supposed to wrap before yeah, you go definitely. into the pole. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that from a beginner level, certain apparatus are easier to start learning on. And silks has always been one of the hardest one. Like I'll do like workshops with various things, more aerial hoop or lira um, and hammock and trapeze. And all of those things are easier to start on than aerial silks because the silks move, there's two of them. <laughs> you you don't have something to sit on, which is the nice part of most of those things. And I think pole is somewhere in that world as well in that it doesn't move and you can kind of learn to navigate around it. And you can also start on the ground a little bit <laughs> with aerial silks. If you try to do anything on the ground, it's not super exciting after <laughs> a couple of weeks. So it is challenging and I think as you go on as well and you learn harder tricks that don't involve being secured in your wraps there's a lot of physics that goes into figuring out how that all works it's a real challenge I think to for fear I think we all fear different things first of all having a fear of heights and falling is a very natural human response but we also see specific fears from people who've been doing it for years like 
forward flips may be scary for some people and backwards tricks will be scary for other people. The idea of like a downwards drop as well has always been a bit scary for me. I can't even go on a drop tower (laughs) and I mostly do downward drops if I know that I'm like very, very secured by things. Even coming back from my time off last month, I tried to do one of my first forward drops and I was like, I'm not ready for that yet. (laughs) I need to do some of my other things yet. It was one of, you know, it's an easy drop. You're fully secured, but mentally I'm like, I'm not ready for it. And so, you know, it's a sport that you have to be really conscious about because if you force yourself mentally to try and push past that fear, that's not always the healthiest response. You know, I, I probably haven't spoken to anyone that's more conscious than you. You know, you seem to be able to make assessments around how you're feeling in different scenarios and situations, whether it be the world of work or life or relationships or being up suspended in midair, which is, I think, one of your strengths uh, that maybe. I'm not sure if you're downplaying it or if you're aware of it, but yeah, you seem to be really conscious of your capability at a certain point in time. Even though you've been able to achieve something else or that you know that you know your best is at a higher level, you're not there right now because you, you're not feeling it. You haven't practiced. You know that you need to go back to step three or two to get back to step five, for example, which is unusual. Not a lot of people have that recognition, I'd say. I think that's very kind of you to say and probably giving me a bit more credit in this scenario because I think part of it is I've both had time off before and have seen others of my closest group of sort of aerial friends back in Australia probably every single one of them has had at least three months off at some point. And so we all go through that journey again. There's a frustration of, I can't do the things I used to do. I'm scared to do some of the things I used to do. And there's this journey of like, we just have to ease back into it and be um, really supportive of ourselves. I think the pandemic was a real experience of that for everyone. (laughs) Everyone pretty much had to kind of stop and came back afterwards going, I'm scared to do this again. So a part of it comes from just having seen it before and knowing that we have to be kind to ourselves. Otherwise, it's one, it's not fun anymore. <laughs> and it should be something that, you know, that we're there to enjoy as well. And two, it's pretty much the only way to make yourself want to keep coming back to it mm. as well. Yeah, that, that whole notion of sort of starting over, you know, having some time off and starting something over and starting at maybe a, at an easier level. I think mm. a lot of the time we fall into the trap, and when I say we, I'm not talking about you and I, but we as a society um, can mm-hmm. fall into the trap of thinking that life is just should be linear. You know, there should mm-hmm. like these steps. And always towards perfection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that backward steps are seen as, they're not seen mm-hmm. as steps in a positive direction, mm-hmm. um, which I think is one of the things that I've really struggled with a lot in my personal experience is this whole, that whole notion as well, that whole like, oh, God, I'm going backwards. You mean I need to go backwards to go forwards? I'm so reluctant when I think of taking a backward step in any direction that I know it's detrimental. Like I know it's healthy for you to need to start again at another level, yet I'm just so reluctant to do it. I don't know why. Why is that? Yeah. I feel you so deeply on that because I feel like over the last couple of years, there's two elements of that that I feel I've really had to work on. One part, not just about going backwards, but I think just trying to do anything that you feel you're not particularly good at. For me, like in aerials, I've kind of described how I actually enjoy that process, but in the workplace, hate it, absolutely hate it. I'm a total perfectionist. I cannot stand failure. And that's part of the reason I would keep running myself into the ground was I I push everything towards perfection. My boss in my current company has been the biggest game changer on that front, you know, and he's questioned me to say, why are you okay with failing on aerials and you're not okay with failing in the workplace? To me, it's always felt like we have this expectation in work. You're there to get promoted. You're there to move up the ladder, that kind of thing, right? You're in that coming back to it, the linear path upwards. And it scares me to do anything that looks like I might fall off that ladder. (laughs) Um, So it's been really cool to work with him to see, actually, if you want to do anything great, you have to be bad at it first. If you keep doing the same thing that you're already really good at, you're probably not going to actually, you know, grow and develop in the substantial leaps and bounds that you could have if you just took a leap and tried something that you might fail at. (laughs) And you probably will fail at it, but that's how we learn. When we watch a kid who's learning to walk for the first time, they definitely don't get it right the first few times. And even after they stand up the first few times, they forget how to stand after like five seconds. Mm. Um, 
So it's kind of, that's kind of been a really big game changer for me. I'm still learning how to fail. I'm learning how to enjoy failure. I'm signing myself up for, I've told you how bad I am at dance. I've just signed up for salsa lessons here. <laughs> so. You know, I couldn't ever get past the two steps, you know, <laughs> with salsa. <laughs> I literally have two left feet, so. Yeah, good luck <laughs> you and that. I could maybe mirror each other. <laughs> <laughs> Um, There'd be a lot of bruises from a, from a basic salsa class. <laughs> yeah, it would be dangerous. And maybe not just for us, but everyone <laughs> around us. <laughs> but the other big thing that over the last few years has been resonating in my brain, especially making the move to Colombia and taking a career step that kind of looks like it's a step backwards, actually, is I, re- I read Sapiens during the pandemic. And, Me too. Uh, my biggest takeaway from Sapiens was just most of society is completely constructed by us. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but like we agreed to believe in companies and jobs and having a purpose and meaning for life. We made it all up. So this career path idea, I mean, we can continue to just make that up as well. What looks like a backward step, I'm just calling that my next forward step in my my own career path. It's just we've completely made it up and we just assume, you know, what everyone talks about the most often is the version that should be, but again, completely made up. So it's constantly reminding myself that just about everything around us is constructed by humans and therefore how fast or how slow we go, what we decide to do with our lives, we can make it up. <laughs> I think you're the only person maybe in the world that would look at Sapiens as a self-help book. <laughs> it's the only way that I could read it. No. <laughs> I found it really interesting for that front, actually. It's a lot of, I think, analysis of like, how we are as human beings. So, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I just choose to make everything self-help at the end. <laughs> you're, but I think you're right. I think he accidentally did write a self-help book because for those, <laughs> uh, if you read, I mean, if you've read Sapiens, and I read it through um, the pandemic as well, uh, it is really a lot about just our history and, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of questioning the, the things that happened and the reasons why we did things. And I think he becomes mm-hmm. a little bit more detailed when it comes to that recent history side of it, maybe towards the end of the book. But also one of the things that I really struggled with with Sapiens was that he just makes us sound so pathetic as a species. I was just like, dude. <laughs> like the chickens and the sheep have managed to reproduce better than all of us? <laughs> yeah, something like that. I'm not, I can't remember any quotes because, yeah, my memory is a sieve when I read books. But I just remember feeling like, God, this guy has l- very little regard for humanity. And I think, in a way, he's kind of right. We do come up with these constructs ourselves. These are all made-up things. There is literally no right or wrong. When yeah. you're the one that sees it, you end up being the crazy one in the room. Like <laughs> you're still likely to be the one that they put in the straitjacket. Yes. Um, or up I, in up in silks. <laughs> yeah, actually, now this explains a lot about my idea of sanity, doesn't it? <laughs> does, does. Does. Um, but you're reminding me a lot, actually. There's a concept I heard of a few years ago called optimistic nihilism. Oh um, God. <laughs> And I kind of love it because it, it's that in a nutshell, right? Like, I'm not really a philosopher, so I might get this meaning wrong. But like nihilism to me is, you know, you believe there's no purpose of life. There's not really much point being here. And the optimistic version of that was like, well, if there's no point. Why don't we do whatever we want? <laughs> you know, make the most of it. We have these positive emotions. Let's do whatever generates those positive emotions. And like not worry too much about the fact that there's no predefined purpose or whatever to our lives or to the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that's something that I like pretty strongly subscribe to. And even though he might be coming off as like humans have made things up and um, don't really know what they're doing either and don't really understand what they're doing, I would say. I feel like that's part of his point is like, is society objectively better off than it was a few hundred years ago? Well, in living standards, yes, but like in happiness and anxiety, not so much. So do we really know what we want? I think he has really fair challenges around that. To me, it says, well, then we should just start listening to what we want. Stop worrying about this purpose in life and just start gunning towards the things that might make us happy yeah and i mean again one of the reasons why i wanted to have you on the show is just because you strike me as that kind of person that makes these life important life decisions really consciously you're like yes i'm going to move to central america or south america i'm going to start doing silks there work there take up salsa classes it's like it's almost as though you've got no time to waste Although you you understand actually the value of time in your life, which I think that 
that eludes a lot of us. I think I push probably a little too hard on that almost at times, but like contradicting what I just said, part of the reason I've made those decisions and continue to try and change what I'm doing is I'm still seeking a version of that purpose in life. And I know that's super contradictory to what I just said, but I think like each individual has things that they have, they, they just naturally enjoy doing more. And I've met some individuals who find that when they're really young, something they're passionate about and something they can get paid for and something that they can spend their time on, you know, kind of the, all the pieces of the puzzle fit together. And I've always looked at that like, man, I want that. You know, I want to wake up every day loving what I do, hopefully getting paid for it and living a sustainable lifestyle with it. But I've been looking for that for a long time. And my approach to the last few years after burnout, especially, has been a trial and error of, you know, would this make me happier? Would that make me happier? Would living in Colombia make me happy? Would working for an awesome education company, would that make me happy? Not only on a long-term basis, though, but also on a day-to-day And so I think I continue to change things up because I haven't quite found that answer yet. That said, like my end hypothesis is like, if none of this works out, I would be so happy to work like a nine to five job that I don't necessarily care about, but that gives me the kind of financial stability and the the, the ability to be where I want to be and make the most of other things that I don't necessarily get paid for, but really enjoy and love. So maybe that's aerial silks as a hobby. Maybe that's just spending time with loved ones, but that's kind of the trial and error I'm going through right now. Try a bunch of different things with how I spend the majority of my time. And if that doesn't work out, I'm going to, you know, find a stable <laughs> nine to five and spend the rest of my time doing the things that I love. <laughs> I don't see. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you, that you talk about it like that. Cause I'm like, wait, you're not, what, is it possible that you're not happy right now? Like, is that what you're saying? Like, cause you seem. I've got challenge. <laughs> <laughs> cause it's, um, it's, because I am really happy right now. <laughs> you are exactly here now. It's, it's it. You've achieved it. Like the concept of mindfulness in a way has this weird contradiction in it where you're supposed to be like present in the moment and like satisfied with the present, but that doesn't necessarily stop you from planning for the future or thinking about things like that. I guess in the same way, like I'm really happy with where I'm at. I'm satisfied with where I'm at. And part of that is actually because I know I've made decisions to figure out where I'm going next as well. (laughs) And I'm really happy with like my general situation. I think my push right now to change is because I wake up in the morning for my job and I'm, I'm kind of bored. I've hit the learning curve. I still love the people I work with. I love what we do as an end game. So like long-term makes me happy, but on a day-to-day, I'm bored. So I want to change up my day-to-day. But overall, I'm pretty satisfied with yeah. <laughs> the decisions I made and will be making. Yeah. <laughs> For me, just listening to you, it feels as though there's like a correlation between the idea of happiness, which is a word that gets thrown around a lot, but that feeling of satisfaction, we'll call it, mm-hmm. and growth. So for me, there's like that parallel with you where they, they're hand in hand. If you feel like you're growing and you're learning something, then you're, you're feeling satisfied. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's one of the reasons why Silks has kept you engaged for so long because mm-hmm. there's just so many steps to it from being a beginner to being really proficient and maybe doing it professionally. There are so many steps and such a long journey that it's kept you there and you've kept loving it. Yeah, that's such a great call out. Um, I have often debated with people on the nuances of the word happy, and I do feel better talking about, are you satisfied? Are you content with your life and with your decisions? Because I think the maybe purest definition of happiness for me, it is a fleeting thing. You know, it's like right now talking to you, I'm really happy. <laughs> I can see that. Um, after this call, I'm happy to my house. I don't know if I'll be that happy. But- <laughs> But I'm also really satisfied as a general underlying feeling. And that, I think Laurie Santos, she has a podcast called The Happiness Lab, is a psychology professor up in the US. She talks about the idea of satisfaction isn't actually happiness. Like when you work really, really hard on something, you're not actually necessarily happy when you're, I don't know, slaving away on an essay or training a new trick that's really hard and you keep face planting or waking up at 7 a.m. to talk to someone in another country. (laughs) But you can be really satisfied with all of those things because you're pushing yourself to do something that you see the end goal and you love that motivation. I really love that. I really love that 
Uh, you know, you talk about your journey as a journey of growth a lot and you find those points in your life where you feel less satisfied. It's almost like an equal and opposite recognition that you're not growing as much as what you'd like to anymore. You've sort of hit a peak. Um, so yeah, I love that. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about your community because you seem so self-motivated and self-sufficient. You've moved from all the, around all these places, different countries. You've always had you to rely on as well but what do you do for friends and what do you do for and how do you sustain friendships I guess this is actually a really important um concept to me especially it's a whole other side conversation but I'm not a believer in for my individual future in having a permanent romantic partner I'm not sure that that will happen for me I'm sure it will happen for many other people but knowing that my community is very much what I'm going to need to stay kind of happy and healthy and satisfied (laughs) Um, now and when I'm older. And that was one of my big concerns moving countries every time is who is your community? Who is your network? Even though I have a really strong foundation back home in Australia, both in my hometown of Brisbane and where I've been living for 10 years in Sydney, it's very different when you're not in the space with someone. I'm also really bad at virtual connection in general, as you know, from my reply rate (laughs) once every couple of months. And I connect much better with people in person. When I came to Bogota, I already had sort of the, I don't want to say cheat strategies, but that's kind of what they were. Because in every other country I've been in, um, going to aerial silks and going bouldering have been one of like the fastest ways for me to meet people and make friends. And these are both, as you said before, some sports don't necessarily have the same openness. I think these two communities of circus and climbing, they're really open. They're just by nature, you love sharing the challenge and the problem with other people. And therefore, it becomes very easy to talk to people you've never talked to before. This coming from an absolute introvert. <laughs> Which that I said, when crazy. I moved to Colombia, uh, I was surprised, not surprised, but just after six months, I hadn't formed the depth of relationship that I needed. And I did feel lonely. I, yeah, I, I felt pretty lonely. And so I always said, I'm not going to make friends with the expats here because I want to learn Spanish. I want to like understand local life and all that stuff. But after six months, I was like, no, maybe I should try it because <laughs> I haven't quite found, you know, I had a couple of good friends from my workplace who are local from Colombia and friends from Circus who are um, Colombian as well. And hadn't met anyone in bouldering yet actually weirdly enough but just none of those relationships had the depth that I that I needed to feel supported and not alone I ended up going to a couple of not just expat events but some weird um I went to something called hash house harriers who describe themselves as a drinking group with a running problem (laughs) so that attracts a very specific kind of people as well Mm. um But through a couple of these things, you know, I met people who beyond kind of describing themselves as expats, like they're people who want to be in Colombia, who love this country, who are, you know, are speaking Spanish, are living their lives here. And I feel that becoming friends with several of these people is very in parallel with what I'm feeling. And that's kind of a lot of the support that I needed. It's also, you know, the main group that I found as my community here are mostly single 30 something year old women. And so we're all going through a lot of the same things. And that as well has been a really unexpected, but wonderful connector for us as well. Um, So they're a really strong support for me. I used to be someone who didn't really actively try to maintain any friendships. I've been out of home since I was 17. So I've had a lot of people that I haven't really probably kept in touch with. But in the last few years, realizing how important that community has been for me when I was burnt out, when I was, you know, without a place to live, you know, all these different moments of my life, it has been friends who have supported me so I'm trying now to actively like nurture that actually reply to people a little more than once every three to six months or a year (laughs) um make time to talk because I know I'm bad at texting make time for a call once in a while so it's I'm, I'm trying to actively change the way that I approach it to make sure I'm nurturing important relationships not every single one as well I think it's important to recognize that people will move in and out of your life as well and people go through different phases of their life so I think it's okay to just kind of like let some things go. I think one of the most beautiful things about the people I've been able to maintain friendships with is they're okay with not seeing each other for a while. But when we do see each other again, much like talking to you, Louis, it just feels 
comfortable. Like <laughs> it hasn't been a minute since we since we last saw each other. So that's something I'm really grateful for. It does. It does feel comfortable. You're always smiling at me when you talk to me. So it's nice. I feel like <laughs> I want to talk to you. Um, but look, I really love that. I, I love that it's been a bit of a trial and error process for you maintaining community or finding community and that now you've gotten to this phase in your life where you're starting to sort of realize how important it is and it's almost one of the other challenges that you're throwing into the mix right um Mm. which i think it is actually for a lot of us Uh, a lot of us just don't probably realize it yet so yeah i think community and friendships are are really important and that's one of the things that i really wanted to ask you about because of not only how much you've moved around but how busy you are and how busy you keep yourself and i've been seeing some photos of you from recent looks like you're in some beautiful island location beach location you've been going on adventures (laughs) yeah i um uh have been lucky to cross the world a little bit over the last six months. I was in Estonia in September and then in Brazil during December. Uh, so I <laughs> went from quite cold, quite far north to very far south and very tanned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you're with a bunch of other people in those pictures. Are these, is this your community that you've met? Is that the guys that you're traveling with now or is it solo? Yeah. Um, So Brazil especially was rooted in the women that I met here in Bogota. Uh, It's a bit of a long story, but one of them is like Brazilian-Australian and she and her husband, they're married already in Australia, but Brazil doesn't recognize their wedding. So 10 years on, they were like, let's have a wedding in Brazil while we're in Latin America. And so most of this um, particular friendship group, we went down to Brazil, but a couple of us had, even before the wedding idea was out there, a couple of us had started speaking about, you know, maybe we could work remotely in Brazil for a little while because we had that opportunity and why not? Um, And it all came together really beautifully. I got to spend two, three weeks living with two women in particular. (laughs) And even just in that, there was, you know, little bits of growth that that we were having as well. I think they're styling me up, helping me grow up into my 30s. (laughs) And then being at this wedding with this group as well, I, I don't know, I this is a little cheesy, but I had a moment where I looked around at these women who I randomly met only a year ago as well. Most of them I met around December or January. And I just went, these are such beautiful people, you know, like they are very, very different inside and out. And yet they all hold this incredible beauty and like, I'm getting very cheesy, but a real kind of value to the world, I feel in both how they are as women and how they are as people, as human beings. They've definitely all sort of taught me a lot. So I'm very grateful to have like been able to spend some time with them. I'm just being a little cheesy right now. <laughs> no, that's, no, it's beautiful. I mean, how many of us can look at our friends and, and say such wonderful things about them? I mean, they're obviously people with very strong values. Also people you know what's funny? Yeah. Sorry. No, 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 go. It's funny. Um, when I was 21, 22, I came back from a year of backpacking and I thought – no one's going to understand the experiences that I've been through. I'm coming back to friends who did not leave the country. We're going to have these basic conversations. It's going to be so superficial. I was really scared of that, but it didn't happen. You know, we would just start having different kinds of conversations. And when we asked different questions to each other, we found a a much, much deeper level. And I think that it's very easy to fall, especially with friends that we've had for a long time into like a really superficial level of conversations. You know, what did you do last weekend? How are the kids going? You know, really superficial kind of stuff. But with any one of those, or most of those people, maybe not every single one, but most of those people, I find just by starting a different conversation and asking a different question, I've been really surprised at the level of depth that, that we can get to from what is usually a very superficial sort of friendship <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's really lovely it's really nice to hear someone speak about their friendship groups like that because i think there comes a point in your life where you start to need to cut out the fat from some of your relationships and move into those deeper places where you know that that's where growth is going to occur or support yeah yeah, yeah support exactly but I think, you know, it's, it's really great to get to that point where you understand the value of your friends and what value they bring to your life. Oh, I mean, I'm very much shaped by the people around me. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a virtuous cycle, I hope. 
Um, I mean, that's not to say that I want to have serious conversations all the time <laughs> mm. or that every friendship is a serious one as well. I think, you know, eventually, like you said, kind of cutting out the fat, I feel, is also figuring out who are the fun friends that I hang out with whenever I just I really need a drink and I want to go and have some fun and have a big night out. And then who are the friends that I sit down with and have a big DNM? And it's really nice when they're the same friends. Mm. Um, but like. You can be specific about having a few different ones in there as well. But you start to cut out some of the ones where it's like we only have superficial conversations. And I can watch TV if I wanted to <laughs> see a, <laughs> a version of someone else's life. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it's really funny. You know, you've always struck me as someone that wants to have people that add value into their, their life from a, like not only from, a, I guess, a deep and meaningful perspective, but also a fun perspective as well. You've always seemed like a really fun, outgoing person to me. You describe yourself as an introvert during this chat, and I'm like, that's not, that's not you. You're not an introvert, are you? <laughs> Have you been? Or maybe it's just like, like when two everyone. introverts unite, it becomes this kind of like extroverted experience for the both of us. Um, I really love that. And someone who joins a drinking group with a running problem, you know, it strikes me as the kind of person that likes to have a good time. And hey, introverts doesn't mean we're not fun. <laughs> we need a longer break afterwards. It's not just the hangover that keeps us in bed yeah, afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Social tiredness. Yeah. yeah, totally. Hey, listen, your Instagram is really worth checking out because there's just so much progress there. It's Ariel.catastrophe, isn't it? With a K. Yeah, catastrophe with a K. <laughs> yeah. So for anyone wanting to sort of um, get a hold of you, they can get a hold of you there. Um, you might reply in about three or four months, but... Uh, <laughs> Eventually, um, yes. <laughs> but most importantly, to see that your, your progress in Ariel's, for anyone that's interested in Ariel's or interested in looking at um, what it's like to sort of start from the bottom and get to here uh, sort of thing um yeah it's it's super interesting it's super cool you're very candid on there and there's some stuff of you in the training room and then stuff where you're actually look like you're performing like you're doing shows as well so yeah it's really cool for anyone that wants to check that out um but i mean you've been amazing to chat to as always I hope it's not another two years before we chat again because that would be really sad. You did actually say to me that I could come to Bogota and I'm waiting. Stay. This big space here is waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I am going to take you up on that at some point. So be ready. <laughs> I'm ready and I'm excited. And in my new found working on community, I definitely plan for it to be less than two years before we're talking to each other on a call again. <laughs> No, it's really, it's always a real pleasure to speak with you. And like I said, it was, if I thought I need to speak to Kat, maybe just kill two birds with the one stone and maybe we can podcast it because I always feel like our conversations take us to a level that I always come off really buzzing. I'm always thinking, God, that was good. That was just a really good conversation. And it's just filled, it's just filled me up and energized me for the whole day, week. Uh, and yeah, I've always thought of you very, very highly. That's for sure. A hundred percent agree. I can't stop smiling right now. Like this is, this is not intentional. It's just <laughs> this conversation talking to you is putting this really ridiculous smile on my face that I can't quite seem to wipe off. So, <laughs> I thank told you, as you. Well. I told you it's always there. It's literally always there. <laughs> it's you. Talk to some other of my friends. You might find that I don't smile this much around them. <laughs> okay. well, I'm very, very fortunate. And so I guess like, Throughout this recording, you've provided us with so many incredible bits of wisdom, like you always do. But, I mean, is there anything that you'd want to leave the audience with before we go? Oh, gosh, that's a lot of pressure. It's putting you on the spot. Um, I think just what I've been working on recently, I would probably encourage others to think about as well in terms of don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to take a step back, whatever it is, because I think that is such a scary thing. And it's an option that we don't even consider as well, because we're like, that's just not even okay in any lens. So I think just be open to questioning, what are those options for me that might lead to something great, but just don't even seem fathomable? And consider if you could really take even a baby step in that direction. I know that's really hard and it's really scary, 
but even a baby step might show you that it's not that scary in the end. And when you come out with something wonderful at the end, which you almost guaranteed will because we're humans and we normalize our stories of failure into stories of growth. Yeah, you're you're going to, I think, be really glad for, for having done something <laughs> with whatever's in the back of your mind. I think that would be my challenge slash encouragement to anyone and everyone. Baby steps. Love it. Kat, I always end these episodes with a little round of applause um, because, um, yeah, I always find it just a really nice way to wrap up the episode. So, hey, it's been so, so, so good to connect with you again, honestly. It's going to make my week. Uh, And you're you're just one pearl of wisdom after the other so for anyone that's listening to this i hope you've enjoyed listening to cat one of my really good friends someone i don't catch up with nearly enough but i'm hoping to a lot more from now on and yeah i guess on three we can just do a round of applause one two three let's do it Woo! (laughs) thanks cat i hope you enjoyed this episode of the louis diaz podcast to find out more about any of our guests and catch additional photos and content from this episode, find us on Instagram at Louis Diaz Podcast.